Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. We want to hear more from the Lord. Uh, My heart is full this morning to share with you of a new series that I believe God is leading us into together, entitled Unlearn, Reverse Engineering the Religious Mind. As our kids are getting ready to go back to school with our uh, snow days we had this last year, it's crazy to think that summer is just about over for the kids, and uh, they're getting ready to go back to school, and as they're getting ready to learn some things, this principle of unlearning has come to my mind that we've got to unlearn some stuff. Half of learning is learning. The other half of learning is unlearning. Unfortunately, Unlearning is twice as hard as learning. It's like when you get on the interstate and you miss your exit. And you have to go to the next exit. And for every mile that you go out of your way, you know you have to turn around. It's, it's a net effect of two miles out of your way. It, it's harder to come back. And there's some things that we have to unlearn. You know, I, I don't know how many have ever tried the game of golf before. I, I like golf. I'm a horrible golfer. And I remember when I first started playing golf, I didn't grow up with golf, I didn't uh, have lots of lessons or anything, and I made my way around the course and just found how to do some things to try to stay halfway competitive. And I'm competitive by nature, and if I'm going to play, I want to play to win. Now, rarely does that happen, but I'm trying to win, trying to do my best. And and so I came up with some ways to try to get the ball to go where I wanted it to go. And, And after my first golf lesson, I was so confused. The golf instructor said, now, now, Brady, you need to take that chicken wing that's out here and bring that in. And, and then when I bring that in, he'd say, now you need to make sure you do this with your wrist. And as soon as I would fix my wrist, my, my chicken wing would go back out. And it was like a half a dozen things that would all connect to each other. And, and I found that it was very hard to unlearn these habits. And what's strange is I had I'd not played golf a whole lot. So where did I pick up these habits? And, and the instructor could see that I was struggling. He said, you know, it, you probably played baseball as a child. And, and anybody who played baseball, you, you swing differently when you play baseball or softball. And, and it's hard. The better of a baseball player you are, the harder it is to learn a golf swing, the instructor told me. And I looked at him. I said, I, I've never played baseball as a kid. He just said, well, you're just bad at golf. That's just what it is. And I love it, but I have to unlearn some things, and it's hard to unlearn it. You know, unlearning is twice as hard as it is to learn. If you study the teachings of Jesus, you'll realize that he didn't just teach things. He also tried to help people unlearn things. And he often was trying to reverse engineer the religious mind and trying to get the religious people to unlearn some practices, some habits, some things that they become addicted to themselves that was incorrect. It was wrong. That's why we find in, in the Sermon on the Mount... In other places, Jesus often says things like this. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you this. You've heard it one way, but I tell you another way. There's a different way. There's a better way. And so you've done it one way, but there's a better way, and it's the right way, and you need to unlearn the old so you can have room for the new that I want to teach you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to try something difficult together. We're going to try to unlearn some things together. You see, sometimes we're just flat out wrong. I think that's some of the hardest words to hear in the English language. You are wrong. I don't like hearing that. But sometimes it's true. And and if we don't unlearn the things that we are wrong about, we can never ever get to where God wants us to go. But when we're wrong and we need to unlearn some things, it's hard to unlearn our assumptions 
unlearn our perspective or our nature or our upbringing or our understanding. It seems like everything needs to change. See, to unlearn is to reverse the direction. It's to undo. It's to not know what we thought we knew. It's hard, yet it's very critical that we unlearn a few things together. So we're going to examine some areas in our life that might need some unlearning. Because what we have always known, what seems so obvious to us, what our parents possibly taught us, what we learned in school maybe, or or what you read in a book, or what the media broadcasts to you, or what your therapist once told you, or, or possibly what you even learned at church one time, may not be the truth that God wants to give. And we need to unlearn some of this to get to what He has for us. You know, it's one thing to unlearn something that, that's new to you, some bad habits that you picked up from somewhere else, but it's another thing to unlearn something that you've been doing your whole life. I remember in high school, I... Went out for the track team, not because I wanted to, but because the football coach said that every starting position on the football team will be a track runner as well. And I thought, okay, I want to start football, so I'll go out for track. And I showed up for track, and I was perplexed by what the track coach said. He said, now I want to teach you guys how to run. How dumb is that? Who doesn't know how to run? And he started talking about, you know, not swinging your arms like this and not flailing your legs out like this. I thought, who runs like that? This is for athletes. These are track people. We're going to run just as fast as we can. He said, now some of you, you really need to be taught to run. I've been running since I could walk. I just came out knowing how to run. You just get some more fast. That's what running is. Just go fast. Get there. Go faster. And go faster. He said, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to videotape you and and help you see how you run. And so he did that with all of the the athletes on the team. And and we came back to the uh, locker room later on that week. And I'll never forget him putting up on the screen my video clip of me running the 100-yard dash. And and he said, now now look at this. He said, this person, which was me, running, is flailing their arms back and forth like this. And their legs are going out like this when they run. I thought, that's not me. And the closer I looked, it was me. I know how to run. I've run my whole life. But just because of what I perceived of myself to be one thing didn't mean that it was true. And I saw I needed help to learn how to run. It's hard to run different. If you've been running your whole life one way, it's hard to run different. But to compete in track, which apparently I didn't do very long or very well, you have to unlearn that to pick up the good habits of how to run correctly. Jesus wants us to unlearn some things. And as we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5 today, I want us to look and see what Jesus is asking us to unlearn about prayer. Look at Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Well, if we're going to unlearn prayer and these habits that we've picked up, we need to look at what, what really is prayer. St. Augustine would tell us that True, whole prayer is nothing but love. That's a powerful statement. That is very true, but sometimes 
Have you ever heard a definition of, of prayer that makes you go, man, that sounds good. Now, now what is it again? Now, now, what exactly is this? I like what Dallas Willard has to say. Prayer is communication with God about what we are doing together. See, prayer as a conversation is the key. It's not just about what I say to God, but it's about what I hear from God, what he says to me as well. One comedian has been credited with the, with the thought, why is it that when we speak to God, we are said to be praying? But when God speaks to us, we are said to be schizophrenic or have a mental illness. Our culture doesn't get this. Our our culture gets prayer, but they don't get the prayer that Jesus was talking about. Newsweek tells us that 78% of all Americans say that they pray once a week. 57% report to pray once a day. And even among the 13% who claim to be atheist, or excuse me, or agnostic, atheist or agnostic, nearly one in five of them said that they pray once a month. Now, if you're atheist and you pray once a month, I don't really know who you're praying to, but our culture likes this idea of praying. But we think that you have a mental illness if you say you hear from God. We have to unlearn what even our culture tells us about prayer. The point is that many people pray. But why do you pray? How do you pray? Brother Lawrence, a 17th century cook in a French monastery, writing the book, practicing the presence of God, said these words, There is not in all the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Yet I do not advise you to do it from that motive. It is not pleasure which we ought to seek in its exercise. But let us do it from the principle of love and because God would have us to do it. There's nothing more sweet, there's nothing greater than having a conversation where you not only speak to God, you hear from God. And and we don't do it just because it's exciting, but it's what God calls us to. We must unlearn some things about prayer. There are six things that I believe that God wants us to look at today. There's a whole bunch more than just six, but there's six we're going to look at this morning of what we need to unlearn to get at what God has for us in prayer. The first is this. We must unlearn that God is distant and disconnected. Somewhere along the way, we've learned that God is far away. He's somewhere up there or out there, and he doesn't care much about what's going on in your life. He's disconnected, uninterested in who you are and what you really face. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is close and he is very personal. Now, if you've been in the church for a while, you may have picked up in a Sunday school lesson or picked up in children's church or picked up in in church talk that God is always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And you know that in your head. But just like you know how to run, you need to look at the evidence. Are you really running like you know you should? I believe God looks at us and says, Do you even understand prayer? Yes, I know what prayer is. Yes, God, I know you're with me. Yes, God, I know it's a conversation. This is elementary stuff. But when we look at the video clip of your life, the things that you do, the things that you say, the places that you go, the the things you worry about are direct evidence that you don't really live as if God is right with you. 
Would you say that if you knew God was there? Would you do that if God was there? Would you worry about that if you knew the Almighty God was right there with you? Remember when you were a child and the grown-ups would talk about you? The things you did good or bad while you were in the room as if you weren't there. They would just talk about you as if you weren't there. And you just wanted to stand up and say, hey, I'm standing right here. Can't you see me here? We do this with God. And we, we talk as if God is not there, as if he's not around, as if he does not see the things that we see or feel the things that we have felt. Many times we forget how close God is. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, the first part. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven. Now some take this to say God is so far away. But this is our heavenly Father who's on the throne, who's in heaven. And yet he is right there with you. God is bigger than we can comprehend. His complexity is farther than what we can grasp. And he is in heaven. And yet he is right with you in every moment. It's this idea of God who is far away. Verse the truth of a heavenly Father who's always Near to you. Psalm, one, excuse me, Psalm 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the seed, see, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. What is this saying? It's saying that you cannot get away from God. That's good news for those who love him, but it's bad news for those who wish they could be away from God. He is with you all the time. We should expect in a relationship with God for him not only to hear us, but for us to hear from him. Psalm 96 verse 5, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Dallas Willard talks about how we are so close to God. He shepherds us. He corrals us. He corrects us. He hugs us into the men and women he wants us to be. He is the good shepherd that is near and personal. Second, we need to also unlearn that prayer is what I want. This misconception that prayer is about what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and now. This is a classic one. If, if there was only one point today, this would be the one that I would choose. But there's six, so we're not going to choose one. But if there was only one, this is the one that I would choose. We've got to unlearn this lifestyle that prayer is about my list of wants. It's about my agenda. It's about what I want God to do. And some of us struggle in prayer because we have always been frustrated because God doesn't do what we want Him to do. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Give me what I want. You are great and almighty. I know what's best, God. Give me what I want right now. Few of us would say those things to God, but apparently many of us live that out before God. So many times we immediately go into prayer with what our needs are, what we want, or what's on our agenda. 
We treat God like a cosmic vending machine. We hit A7 on the vending machine of God, and out, we hope, comes the desired outcome that we put our coins in to get. God is not the machine you manipulate to get what you desired to have happen. Matthew 6, the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to know what God wants done. Ephesians 5.17 Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. God wants you to know what His will is. Don't be foolish. Know what God wants for you. How? Through prayer. See, it takes time to pray like that. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Pastor Brady, I I know this stuff. Well, what's the video clip of, of your spiritual race look like? Of your prayer? Do you pray as if God is right there with you? Do you pray as if it is only about your agenda? Or do you pray asking God, wanting to know what He wants, what He desires to take place? I don't know about that. That's some goofy gopher dust thing. I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. Well, you're not comfortable with the Bible. Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. This takes time. There's no shortcuts here. And some of us get impatient. And impatience is really a lack of trust. If I trusted God, I would choose his timing over mine. But when I'm impatient, I don't really trust that his timing is right. And pride is the root of impatience. When you're impatient, you're prideful. (laughs) I don't like that. It's true. I want them to hurry up now because I deserve it. Because what I want... Paid my dues. I need it. Prideful. Prideful root of impatience, which is really a lack of trusting God. God, would you deliver us from our selfish pride that blocks where you want us to go in prayer? Amen. That's good. I don't care who you are. That's good preaching. I'll say it myself. Prayer allows us the opportunity to seek humility with God. It's not just about what getting what I want, but I want to humble myself and be dependent on who He is. I've got to unlearn that prayer is about what I want, and I've got to learn that prayer is about who He is and what He wants. Third, we need to unlearn that we can meet our own needs. This one's huge for us. A lot of us, we believe in God. We believe He's all-powerful. We believe He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the Alpha. He's the Omega. But I know what's best in my life. I know what should happen at work. I know what should happen at home. I have what it takes to get it done. God, if I get stuck, I'll come to you. But other than that, just give me some space. Let me do this. Then we begin to worry about things. We begin to fret if we can get it done. Worry is a sign of pride as well. Worry and trust, they're mutually exclusive. If you worry, it's a sign that you are not trusting. Why do we worry? Because you and I believe that we either can or we should be able to do it on our own. 
And you begin to worry. I should be able to do this by myself, or I can do this by myself, but I, now I'm not sure. And we worry about it. But when I'm dependent on God, He can release me from the worry because He is the source. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm irresponsible. It doesn't mean that God never calls me to act. It doesn't mean that there's nothing for me to do in obedience to what He says. But that's a huge leap for us to say, well, I'm, I'm a responsible, obedient person. I gotta, I gotta do what God's called me to do. Yes, but He's never called you to have your own strength. He is Jehovah, the source. Jehovah Jireh, the source, the provider. He is your God who has the strength and wants to provide for you. Somewhere along the way, we've begun to live by the little phrase, God helps those who help themselves. You know that Bible verse? By St. Benjamin Franklin? It may be a good thought, but it's not scripture. And in this case, it's not true. He also said, cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not the Bible, but it's been. The truth is, God helps those who trust God. Psalm 23, verse 1, a paraphrase says this, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything that I need. Prayer is humbly admitting that I need God's help. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. Now take your Bible, keep your finger in Matthew 6, but now turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want you to see this in your Bible. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's a scripture that we've read hundreds if not thousands of times, but this blows me away. There's something here that I don't really know if we've, if we've really seen or for sure or not sure if we've lived by it. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I don't know that that's leapt out at me like this before. The peace of God, which makes no sense to you. The peace of God, which you won't be able to say, ah, connect A to B to C to D. The peace he will give you will be far beyond anything that makes sense to you. But let's look what happens with this peace. This peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. By prayer, when I acknowledge that he has what I need, I can't do it on my own. He will give me a peace that goes far deeper than what makes sense to my own mind. Another verse that... We like to quote, we, we talk about, but I wonder if we really live. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you really believe that as a son of God, as a daughter of God, you can approach the throne room, the very place where God is, with confidence that God will not only hear you, he will speak to you and will give you grace. You know, there was, oh, seven or eight years ago, something that happened in our pop culture that, that's intriguing to me. One of President Bush's daughters is on a talk show, and, and the topic came up of, are you able to call your dad? And instead of me explaining it to you, I want you to watch the screens, and we'll unpack this together of what in the world this means to us today. Watch this with me. The pollsters tell us that our society was so intrigued 
by the daughter of what would be arguably the most powerful leader in the free world, being able to call her dad at any given notice, and his response with pleased to hear his daughter made his ratings jump in the polls as people began to see that relationship. It was interesting to me to see Jenna, the the daughter, who she knew she could call her dad and talk to him many times. She'd done that many times before, but now in this context, she didn't want to abuse that. And and, and the talk show host, she's just excited to get more TV ratings, and she didn't care if this gets her in trouble, and she just wants to do that. But but what a picture of, of a father who's important, who's busy, who's the leader of the free world, saying, I want to talk to my daughter. I want her to know that I love her, and she can call any single time that she wants. Friend, you have a father that you can talk to anytime you want. He's not the president. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the one that speaks and creation comes out. He is the one who says, my son, my daughter, I want to talk with you. I not only want to hear you, I want to speak to you. And I want you to know that I love you. And not only do I love you, I love you so much, I have more to tell you. Would you listen, friends? I I think of people that we admire and their importance in their leadership. One of my favorite pictures is this next picture that's going to come up on the screen. It's a picture of President Kennedy with his kids that are in the Oval Office that they're dancing. And and he's there in his office. and, And I love this picture. The picture of power. And at least in our culture, the leader of the free world, if if there's any one single person who has quite a bit of influence, President Kennedy had a lot of influence, and yet his kids in the throne room, in the Oval Office, at that moment decided to dance. And this president father said, dance away, play, you are my kids. You and I have to unlearn This lie that we can do it on our own, that we don't need any help. We have access to the Heavenly Father, and we need access to the Heavenly Father. And He wants us to have the freedom to be who He's created us to be in His presence and cry out to Him and hear from Him. You have access, and you need the access. We also need to unlearn, fourth, that we can be forgiven without forgiving. Some of us have got this idea that we can be close to God and communicate with Him and yet be estranged to people around us. Somewhere along the way, we got this idea that we can be happy and holy Christians harboring bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness towards others. It didn't work that way. Matthew six twelve says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Prayer should bring us to the place where we see our need for God and how much he's forgiven of us and lead us to forgive others. The more I pray, the more I see God. The more I see God, the more I see what he's forgiven me of. The more I see what he's forgiven me of, the more he puts his loving grace in me to extend that to you. We've got to unlearn this idea that I can be a man or woman of faith, a prayer warrior, but live in bitterness towards that other person. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Fifth, we must unlearn that a lack of prayer is just no big deal. I'm, I'm convinced that some of us, we look at our life and we don't pray and we say, well, it's, it's kind of like 
flossing. I don't really floss my teeth that much, but I just do it before I go to the dentist. And I'm supposed to do it, but I don't really have to do it. Prayerlessness is a big deal. You know, the self, the sinful nature inside of us, the flesh, will never ever be able to pray in the power of the Spirit while the flesh is alive and in control. Now, the flesh or the carnal Christian or the Christian who says, Jesus, I let you come into my heart and reside, but you can't be president there. I keep you at the the foot, but self is on the throne. They may recite a prayer. But they will never have the desire or the strength to passionately pursue prayer that hears from God. Because they don't want to hear from God. Friend, I challenge you today. Is is prayer perplexing to you? Is Is it wear you out? Do you get bored with prayer? Do you feel like your prayer has no power? Unlearn some of the bad habits that you've picked up. That your God is very, very close to you. He's very real. That you desperately need Him. It's not about your wish list, your agenda. It's about His will in your life. And He wants to give you forgiveness and create in you a heart to forgive others. It's a huge deal with our prayerlessness. No prayer, there's no power. So many Christians have settled for a powerless, wimpy existence as a believer. Not because they haven't memorized enough scripture. Not because they haven't gone to enough church functions. But because they don't humble themselves and cry out to their dad and listen to what he has to say. He will speak if you take the time to trust him and listen. Finally, we've got to unlearn that prayer is boring. I remember as a student ministries pastor, uh, uh, some of my students would play this game that I think is stupid. If you like this game, I'm sorry, I still think it's stupid. We'd go out to eat and nobody wanted to pray and so they'd do this thumbs up game. Everybody would stick their thumbs up and whoever was the last person didn't have their thumb up would have to pray. As soon as my students would do that, I'd yell at them and took all the fun of the game and they never played around me anymore. And this is dumb. I like talking to my God. I don't want to race to see who didn't have to talk to my God. Now... If you have some misconceptions about prayer and you think prayer needs to rhyme or it needs to be better than the next person's prayer or it's got to be lengthy or you've got to get all the secret code right, then maybe I wouldn't want to pray either and I'd stick my thumb up. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is talking directly to the one who has sacrificed his most valuable love gift in Jesus Christ who wants to not only hear you but talk to you. Put your thumb away and start talking to your God. Well, Pastor, you know, I don't pray like the person next to me. Well, then don't pray like them. This is about God, not about them. Well, some people pray loud and I'm not loud. Well, then pray quiet. Well, some people pray quiet and I can't do that. I've got to walk around and talk out loud. Then walk around and talk out loud. Well, some people pray when there's music going on and that distracts me. Well, then turn the music off and pray. Anytime we make prayer about us and how we do it, we miss out on who we are talking to and the power that is there for us. I know it's hard to look at the videotape and say, I run straight. Who needs to learn how to run? This is dumb. Just go fast. Just pray. Could it be that God wants to play a video clip of the spiritual race in your life and say, you're flailing your arms, you're flipping up your heels. Let me teach you to pray because there is power that I want to give to you. Prayer is anything but boring. 
when we begin to see that God is super close to us, that it's not about our agenda, but we get to know what's on God's agenda. We can begin to see that he supplies the need for us. It doesn't even come from us. He will change our heart to want to forgive those around us, and he will help us with the want to pray. When I'm prayerless, I don't muster up the strength to pray. I say, God, I know I want to, I should pray, but I don't want to pray. Would you help me pray? An obedient heart that wants to hear from God, he will give us the want to pray. That's anything but boring. That is an exciting journey that we want to be on together. I'm not done, but we're through. So I'm going to have our musicians come forward. And as we pray, I want to invite you. We're going to mess everything up. Tonight we had something planned and it's good and there'll be another time for that. But those of you who would like to. Those of you who are on a regular pattern for uh, Sunday night, we've been going through the one-chapter books of the Bible, and we'll come back to that. That'll be good. If you studied and prepared, it's not in vain. We'll be back to that. But, but tonight, we're just going to give ourselves a family room lab experience. We're just going to practice what, what the Bible's been teaching us today. Don't let that freak you out. But if God's speaking to you, I think many of us, you don't have to come to a crisis moment where, where there's... This horrific sin to confess. If God tells you that, then you do that. Many of us just need to start praying. So if if you don't have plans tonight, are there plans of such that you may be able to adjust? Join us at 6 o'clock. We're going to gather, and we're just going to talk to our dad corporately together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that you've given to us today. Through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. I pray that you will help us see that we have heard it one way, we've seen it one way, we've participated in one way, yet you tell us about another way. God, help us to unlearn the habits that we've fallen into about prayer. God, I thank you that you are so close. I thank you that you have what we need. I thank you that there is power available to us. I thank you that you want to even give us the want to. I thank you that you want to change our hearts for people around us when we pray. I thank you, God, that this is not a boring call. This is the exciting part of the journey. It's in your son's powerful name that we praise you and thank you for your word to us today. Amen and amen.